0: Thank you, Mike. Good evening. Good morning. Good, morning. <laughs> Good evening. Good morning. When you've been doing several of these over the weekend, you forget where you are. You know? Is it morning? Is it night? Well, uh, before we get into the word, uh, how many were at the uh, missions night uh, about a week ago, missions night? Were you blessed by that? Yes. Yes. Um uh, I certainly was, but in line with that, um, our Swaziland team, which was part of the Uh, several teams that were in the OB room uh, that were representing our missions initiative. The Swaziland team is putting on a concert tonight at 6 p.m. at the Hermosa Beach Community Center. 6 p.m., if you're available, go out there and support them. They put it together. They put together several groups. And uh, so I'm sure you'll be blessed. Uh, I just wanted to give a plug for them because we believe in missions. Amen? Amen. 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 (laughs) Okay, so today we are concluding our Summer of Psalms series, Hearts Poured Up, and uh, my goal today was really to just kind of give you a, a flyover, like a, remember the election, flyover, a <laughs> uh, view of the Psalms. It's not going to be totally in-depth. The Psalms is, is it's just a prolific compilation of books, and uh, they were compiled over 600 to 1,000 years but the way they're erased is, I believe, miraculous. I don't believe it's by coincidence. And when you read through them, you get to see certain things that just come out at you. And so I'm going to really touch on two of those this morning. Um, out of all the books in the Bible, the book of Psalms is the most read across the board by people in general. And there are several reasons for that, um, but I think the most prominent one is the fact that many of the situations that are depicted in the Psalms match our own experiences. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. You know, the, just the, the imagery, uh, the, uh, the metaphors, they, they just reflect what we go through in life. Experiences of heartache, failure, loss, tragedy, to those of joy and gladness. Another reason the book is popular is the poetic form and literary style of the book. Most, if not all, of the Psalms are intended to be read, meditated on, or sung. And many were part of the liturgy of Israel in the temple. In fact, the original title of the book in the Hebrew was the book of praises. It was the book of praises. The word psalm, is from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word mizmor. It's from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word mizmor, which means a song accompanied by stringed instruments. <coughs> Yay for the string players. <laughs> <laughs> Guitar players. Piano players. Acoustic players it is used 57 times in the ancient Hebrew. And uh, we have examples of that. Psalm 4 through 6 all begin with this title. A psalm or a mizmor of David. As you read the psalms, you discover that they show us what authentic worship looks, sounds, and feels like. The Psalms portray for us the heart of true worship and prayer. So in bringing our series to a conclusion, I'm going to focus on two important things that I think the Psalms elicit. They are an obedience of praise and an obedience of love. An obedience of praise and an obedience of love. The first thing we're going to look at is an obedience of praise. This is the high point of the Book of Psalms. Praise is where all the themes rehearsed in the prayers and songs of the Psalms culminate. Now on a macro level, the Book of Psalms moves from lament to praise. From lament to praise. Now this is true also on a micro level, in the individual chapters. Most of the Psalms of Lament appear on the front end of the compilation. And there are more psalms of lament than those of praise. An example of a psalm of lament is Psalm 5, verse 1 through 3. It goes, it reads, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Or Psalm 6, verse 2 through 7, it says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me. Deliver my life. Save me from, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Though the Psalms start in this dominantly negative tone of lament, suffering, and sorrow, they do not end there. They end on the glorious note of praise. In fact, I would say it's almost like an avalanche or torrent of praise. It starts in Psalm 145 and culminates in Psalm 150. Psalm 146 to 150 all begin with praise the Lord or hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all five also end with praise the Lord. But the climax of this is Psalm 150. Psalm 150. So I want us to turn to Psalm 150 and let's read it together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Lisa? (coughs) Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals, Fred. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, I read it with that emphasis, but I don't do it justice. The emphasis that this is calling for is even more stronger than that. Notice that in this psalm, Psalm 150, Praise is commanded 13 times, and every line contains the verb praise. And then the last line literally shouts, let everything, that hath breath praise the Lord. It's like the grand finale in a fireworks show or symphony concert. How many have been to the Hollywood Bowl? John Williams, the fireworks, you've seen that? It's kind of like that.
1: The Galaxy Game. The Galaxy Game, yes, absolutely.
0: How many here love classical music? You love classical music, you've been to a symphony, okay? You know that in classical music, there are usually four movements, usually. I'm talking about classical, not modern, okay? Modern, they get all weird, they get all modern. <laughs> but in classical music, they have four movements. The first movement usually has the theme, right? Has the theme, you hear the theme, oh, that's the theme. Then the second movement is called the andante movement, which is kind of slower, and kind of gets boring. You wonder, where is this going? And then the third movement, Kind of picks up, sometimes it's called the minuet or allegro movement. It picks up, right? Oh, things are getting more exciting. Things are getting exciting. Then the fourth movement, kaboom, you hear that theme you heard in the beginning. But this time it's got everything going. I mean, the brass, the strings are going, and then there's that big finale, right? <laughs> the Psalms are like that. When you read through the Psalms, you have this kind of movement that starts off with lament, but ends with praise. Um, one of my favorite symphonies is Beethoven's Fifth, right? <laughs> ta, 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 Da, da, ta, 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 ta,
1: ta, 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 ra, How many love
0: Beethoven? You love Beethoven, right? You love Beethoven. I love Beethoven. I love Beethoven. But my favorite composer, Barnard, is Bach. Bach, Bach is just unbelievable. Did you know he was a Christian? Oh, yeah. And he, he actually signed every piece of composition to the glory of God. When he wrote it to every, everyone, he wrote it to the glory of God. But anyway. So this dynamic, we see in the Psalms moving from lamentation to praise, is very much like a symphony. But it's also very instructive for our own worship. For one, it teaches us that worship can be a time to bring our troubles, our burdens, our sorrows, our doubts and fears to God. We can bring our burdens. We can unburden ourselves. When we come to worship, it's okay. It's okay to, you know, during the worship service here, to express to God honestly how you are doing. And to bring those burdens and to lay them at foot of the cross. That's what the Psalms teaches us. The second thing it teaches us is that our suffering and hardships are brought into right perspective when we view them in light of the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. So all these trials, all these sufferings, the Psalms show us that man, whatever I'm going through, God is in control. God is with me. God has this. That this is not all for nothing, that God, that this is just a season. How many of you witnessed the solar eclipse last Monday? Wasn't it something? Yeah. On TV, right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But for those that were in the 75 mile wide area of totality, the sun. You a mighty star in our solar system that is 96 million miles away and is a massive fireball of hydrogen and helium with a bazillion nuclear explosions going on it, right? Um, Being obscured by our humble moon for a little longer than two minutes. The praise of God, church, the confession of who He is and what He has done should eclipse the light and momentary trials that seem huge and interminable. Amen.
1: But in the light
0: of who God is are fleeting and momentary. Amen? Amen. The third thing the Psalms teach is, us, is that they teach us not to stay in lament but to eventually move on to praise and thanksgiving. They teach us not to stay there. They teach us to move on to praise and thanksgiving. As we consider the faithfulness of God to us, as we recount His mercies, His provision, His love, no matter what our situation is, we are guided by the Psalms, even during our valleys, to respond with acknowledging God in praise. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, a good example of a Psalm that has this dynamic of lamentable praise is Psalm 13. So we're going to read from Psalm 13. Psalm 13, verse 3 through 6. It starts off this way. How long, O Lord? How many of you felt that way? Okay. you felt that way? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day?
1: How long
0: shall my enemy, or my cancer, or whatever you want to put in there, be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord.
1: God, light up my eyes, lest
0: I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy, my sickness, whatever it is, say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. This is where you see the shift to praise. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see that switch? From lament to praise. Amen. Though there are more psalms of lament, praise is the dominant theme of the psalms. Praise is the dominant theme of the psalms. It's the high point of worship. We often use the phrase, praise the Lord, right, in our psalms and worship. But in what days does the book of psalms use this phrase translated from hallelujah in the Hebrew? One of the ways it's used is as an exclamation. As an exclamation. We see the phrase hallelujah or praise the Lord used this way at the begin- beginning and end of several psalms. Psalm 112 is one of those. You can see in the beginning. You see that exclamation point? So it starts off, praise the Lord. Then it goes into the rest of the psalm. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. And also in Psalm 150, it begins that same way. It starts off with that strong exclamation, praise the Lord, then praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, and so forth. These introductions and endings have an emphasis of a strong conviction and feeling. I think we sometimes say praise the Lord to each other like it's a passive greeting, right? Praise the Lord, yeah. brother. <laughs> praise the Lord. Right? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. But what the Psalms are conveying to us is praise the Lord the Lord! Amen. I'm not even doing it justice. <laughs> okay? That's what the Psalms are saying. Hallelujah! Every time you see that exclamation. A second way it's used, and most frequently, by the way, is in the form of a command. We are actually being commanded to praise. When the Psalms command us to praise, they also show us the appropriate response to that command. And that is that we acknowledge God for who He is and what He's done. We recount what He has done in the history of our salvation. Praising is also confessing what God has accomplished in our lives. It's our testimony in song. A good example of this command to praise and respond to the command is found in Nehemiah, chapter nine, verse five through seven. Bible's there. Nehemiah 9 verse 5 through 7. It'll be on the screens too. Then the Levites, the worship leaders. Yeshua, Kadmiel, Vani, Hashabaneah, Shirabiah, Hodiah, Shemaniah, and Pithiah, and Justin, and Sam, and Jean and Sandra, said stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Amen. Then the people respond to the praise with verse 6. This is how they respond. This is blessing the Lord. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts. The earth and all that is on it. The seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. This is praise. Confessing who God is, what he has done, and in this case, what he has done in, in, in creation, and choosing Israel as a special people, starting with Abraham. Another example is found in Psalm 103, verse 1 through 14. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 14. We have several worship songs based on this psalm. We sang a song this morning, right? Bless the
1: Lord, O my soul.
0: That's taken from Psalm 103. In the first two verses, the psalmist exhorts himself to praise the Lord. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The following verses show us the carrying out of
1: this command
0: praise, right? Reciting God's righteous nature and redemptive acts on behalf of the psalmist and also by extension all God's people. Verse 3, it says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so forth and so on. The psalmist praises the Lord by reciting God's acts on our behalf. That he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. He also recites God's attributes. That he is gracious, that he is compassionate. That he is slow to become angry and abounding in love. So again, we see that the psalms move us from lament to praise. They teach us that in worship we can unburden ourselves and express our griefs. They teach us that God is our strength and hope in the midst of life's struggles. Somebody say hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Amen. They also teach us not to stay in lament, but to eventually move on to praise. Praise is the dominant note, the apex, the summit of worship in the psalms. And that is why we start and end our services with praise. But I think that our obedience in worship sometimes is lethargic. I really do. Uh, It gets anemic, especially in this area of praise. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. I want us to consider one more thing that I think is the solution to anemic praise. If you've been like, man, I'm just not feeling it, I'm, you know, in terms of my praise of God, I hope this will help you. And I, it's found in several Psalms. And I still think it's an important theme to grasp. And that is an obedience that is motivated by love for God. An obedience of love. In Psalm 119, verse 97. It says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 113 and 163 of the same psalm, it says, I love your law. And verse 165, it says, great peace have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. Another way the psalmist expresses this relationship is in the phrase or the language, to delight in. To delight in. Looking again in Psalm 119, verse 16, it says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments. For I delight in it. Verse 47, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If we love God, we then by default will love His commands. His instruction. His word will be our delight. Amen. Amen. Jesus says this. He amplifies this in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15.10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So the keeping of God's instruction is evidence that we love. It's proof in the pudding. But this is not just simply love that is out of their duty. It's not just a mechanical kind of thing. This obedience involves not only our will, but our whole heart, our emotions, our mind, our body, literally our whole being. You all know the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with about half of your heart. <laughs> with a little bit of your soul. With a tiny bit of your mind. With a little sprinkling of your strength. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with? All. All. With all your heart. Whole hearted devotion. How many of you parents? Parents? I'm a parent. And, uh, most of us love it. when our kids obey, right? <laughs> Actually, we're amazed when they do that.
1: <laughs>
0: Just getting to the first stage in obedience is a blessing, right? Amen.
1: But when they go the
0: extra mile and exhibit a voluntary, unprovoked act of obedience, out of love, we probably like go, wow, that's, that's unusual. <laughs> I'll give you an illustration. Johnny comes home, and you know, he hates doing the dishes, right? And if he does them, it's usually reluctantly and out of coercion or duty, or by reminder. Oh, by the way, remember your chores. You got to do the dishes. And he goes, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, mom, right? But out of the blue, without telling you, or you reminding him. He goes and takes care of the dishes, cleans the counter and the table, as well as sweeps the floor, and then comes to you and says, "Is there anything else you want me to do, ma?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you would You go. What do you want?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. How much? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: but if this was repeated day after day with no expectation of reward, you would probably be like, this is amazing. This is amazing. You'd probably talk about them to your neighbors. Have you checked out Johnny lately? What's going on with it, right? So in a sense, your love, your investment in that child would be glorified, right? It would be glorified. It would be like, wow look what's happening, all my investment, all the time I've put in to try and train this child, I'm seeing the dividend, I'm seeing a blessing here. The same way with God, we glorify Him and His love for us by responding in loving obedience. That is from the heart. That is from the heart. And as a result, our lives are blessed with His peace. We read in Psalm 119 again, verse 165, great peace of those... Who love your law or your words. Nothing can make them stumble. Now some may be wondering how this kind of obedience is generated and maintained. How do you maintain that kind of obedience, this kind of response? It's revealed in the same psalm. Psalm 119 verses 2, 6, 9, 10, and 11. Let's read them together. It says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him, again you see it here, with their whole heart. Verse 6, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. Then, verse 9, How can a young man, young men really pay attention to this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice how the actions that protect us against lethargy and disobedience are linked to the way we seek Him. The way we seek Him. Seek Him, right? Verse 2. Fix your eyes. Verse 6. On His commandments. Guard your way according to His commandments, verse 9. And then verse 11, store His word in your heart. So, seek, fix, guard, and store. In order for us to respond in wholehearted <laughs> obedience in praise to God, we must first respond in wholehearted obedience to love Him by getting to know Him. Loving Him implies Knowing Him. Knowing Him implies knowing His Word. Knowing His Word implies doing what it says. Doing what it says implies an obedience out of love for Him that naturally flows into an obedience of worship and praise that is strong and full of conviction. Amen, church? Amen, Amen. Amen. <coughs> In a few moments, we're going to be uh, having communion, but this subject of loving God has been on my heart for the whole, pretty much the whole summer. And for someone, when you've been serving the Lord for a while, this is an area that that can really get affected because you can get into the motions of serving God because you're just used to it. And you're no longer really, really sensitive to how you're being motivated to serve Him. And what I feel God is calling us back to is really being motivated to serve and to love Him. Actually, to serve Him out of love. Love for Him. Love for His Word. How many have been Christians longer than 20 years here? quite a number of How many ten years? This is something that we have to pay attention to in our lives. And in, in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. He addresses the church of Ephesus. They're a busy church. They've got everything going for them. But he says there's one thing you missed. You've lost your first love. And he says, return back to your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. And what were those things you did at first? Those things that you did out of love, love Love for God. So I want to encourage those, whether you you serve in the parking ministry, whether you serve as an usher, whether you serve on the worship team, whether you just show up and say that this this is a foundational point because everything flows From our love for God. Everything flows from there. If you don't have that, you will experience frustration, you will experience burnout, you will experience all kinds of things that people talk about and you wonder and they wonder what happened, what happened. We've gotta be in God's word, amen. Amen. We've gotta love him, who he is and what he has done. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. Let's consider some of those things and if you need to return to God. And repent, I invite you during this time to do that. So, worship team, come up and uh, servers, get ready as we prepare to take communion. <laughs> if you're new with us, uh, just put the the card that you signed into the tray. Okay? You will see people coming up in lines, and they will take uh, the uh, communion elements, and they'll go back to their seats. Uh, those of you that are Christians, please feel free to partake of communion with us, um, and uh, and let's meditate, and
1: return to the Lord
0: fully in this time. Amen. Amen.